welcome to I Hope I Can Make It Through, a Degrassi viewing podcast. I'm your veteran, Donnie. I'm your best neophyte, Goomba, Goomba, <laughs> Frank. <laughs> Fuck! And today, we are going to change gears a little bit. Um, to bring us back from from our hiatus, we decided to watch The Many Saints of Newark. Yeah, so we're going to watch The Many Saints. So we watched The Many Saints of Newark. Um, a soprano story. A soprano story. If you have not seen this movie yet... We- spoilers i mean it's been out it's been out for a pretty short amount of time this episode's gonna come out i think the movie's only been out for about like two weeks at this point so if you don't want any spoilers for this film sit back we'll get back to our usual degrassi nonsense um you know we'll get back to that next week but um if you'd like to hang out and talk and listen to us talk about this um as two you know jersey italians um, who thought this was going to be a little bit more uh, on topic than it ended up being? Uh, feel free to stay stay along. Much much like a normal episode of Degrassi, we had high hopes and they were immediately dashed. Well, mm, we'll talk about it. But before we get too far into this, obviously humongous content warnings regarding this. Um, we are talking about The Sopranos and The Sopranos related media. Um, and in terms of the many saints of Newark, there are some pretty big content warnings regarding domestic abuse, um, gun violence, um, racism, there is police brutality being discussed, um, there is just a lot of very unhealthy emotional abuse and family dynamics, um, torture, torture, um, you know, organized crime related violence, it's, it's heavy stuff, and we will be talking about it in relative detail, and um, just to give you a heads up about that stuff, obviously, much like if you haven't seen the movie yet, feel free to skip it, related, if you don't really feel comfortable with that, any of that content, of then please feel free to sit this episode out, um, because if there's one thing that The Sopranos... Uh, really does not hesitate to address it's a lot of those things um so hopefully um for those of you who are still listening thank you very much um and we will get the show started really so donnie and i watched this um on hbo max um, not in a, not in a theater because this movie's over two hours long. Um, then we also wanted to get like Italian food. We got subs. Yes, we did. We did. Um, I had some gabagool as any good good Jersey boy would before watching a Sopranos movie. Um, but also it's it's worth talking about like kind of like why we're doing anything relating to the Sopranos. Um, mostly because you know. Usually when we talk to folks about Degrassi, we ask them what their relationship with Degrassi. So I think it's worth asking you, Frank, and I guess myself as well, like, what's your relationship with The Sopranos? So I, I, this is also where I'm a neophyte. Um, I, you know, it was constantly in my wheelhouse, constantly, like, you know, I, I, I've grown my whole life in, uh, in New Jersey. And, you know, I've occasionally driven by places that were in The Sopranos. I think I drove by the uh, Bada Bing strip club at one point um but you know uh my my dad had you know had a soft spot for um uh gangster movies but he never like we didn't have hbo uh during the the period of the sopranos and my sister was really into it and she would constantly bring it up 
Um, then, like, she moved on to Entourage, which I feel is a downgrade. Um, and then Jersey Shore. Um, An upgrade from Entourage, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, <laughs> did, by the way, did I tell you last week, I uh, remembered at one point I found out what the Japanese name of the Sopranos, not the Sopranos, the Japanese name of Jersey Shore translates to? Oh, I forget. I feel like this is something I've known, but what does it translate macaroni to? Macaroni Rascals. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's me. I'm a macaroni rascal. What can I say? Um, but yeah, so, like, I've always had a soft spot for gangster movies and whatnot, um, from my dad. I, during the pandemic, um, you know, one of our family, uh, my, you know, my, one of the things my mom, my sister and I would do would be we would watch The Sopranos. Kind of a weird thing, but my mom was just like, meh. (laughs) Um, and we watched all season one, so I've seen most of season one, and I've just seen random clips here and there. Um, so actually I'm coming into this with more knowledge than I would a normal Degrassi episode. It's true. Yeah. Um, you know, I remember also just like what a big deal this, um, this show was. And I also remember how angry everybody was at the ending of it. And honestly, I've looked at the ending. Um, I think it's a good ending. Like... You know, um, I've you know I've I've done the Wik- Wikipedia dive sometimes on The Sopranos, um, and I was just like looking into this. I'm like, this makes sense, you know. Um, I but I can also I can understand why people wouldn't be satisfied with it. But for me, I'm just like, yeah, this this feels like a good way to end this, you know. Um, it, it was mostly like I also started researching this in the wake of the Game of Thrones season eight ending. And just everybody's distaste with that, and that one I fully understand. And I'm like, yeah, no, that did not end well. But, um, but yeah, like, so, yeah, I, I, like, I don't have as much Tony Soprano in my blood as some other, uh, people do, but I do think the show did really, like, did what it set out to do. And actually, from what I heard, it was so accurate. The FBI contacted the makers, like, do you guys have somebody, like, working on this who was like in the life because you guys are nailing it (laughs) like apparently like for breaking bad another you know crime show that i'm more familiar with um the government actually allowed brian cranston and jesse or you know uh, aaron paul to see like how they make meth like and i just think that's fascinating but um so anyway what's your uh what's your history with donnie so, my relationship with The Sopranos is, um, weirdly, so, I hate this because this, this episode is going to sound like, like, a, a, a shameless promotion episode, because I actually answer this question in an essay that is coming out in June 2022, uh, in a collection of, of essays called New Jersey Fan Club, um, <laughs> promotion, I'm just going to get it out of the way, but... That essay is all about me talking about my relationship with The Sopranos as somebody who grew up in the area because I come from North Jersey. Um, it was like my family is from like the Newark area. Mm-hmm. So, well, immigrated to the Newark area. So, um, I am very familiar with the area of The Sopranos uh, that The Sopranos was filmed and takes place in. And um, I couldn't watch it as a kid. And it was, like, a show that, like, you know, it was, like, because I was pretty young when it was coming out. Um, I wasn't really allowed to watch it. 
and I, I kind of developed resentment toward it in many ways because of the negative, very real negative stereotypes that do come from the show. Um, and then, like, a couple years ago, I was, like, it was, like, I was working on cosplay. I couldn't really figure out what I felt like watching. And, like, I had, like, Amazon Prime at the time. And at the time, like, you could access HBO shows on it. And so, like, they had The Sopranos. And I was just, like, let me test it out. Let me see. It's been so long at this point since this series ended, since, you know... I was, you know, living in that area. Like, let me just see. If I don't like the first episode, I won't. You know, I can always drop it. It's fine. Um, but it ended up being a very interesting show for me to watch because um, it, it hits very close to home. I've talked a little bit on the show before regarding, like, emotional abuse and things like that. I think The Sopranos actually nails the intergenerational trauma of Italian-Americans. Um, I think that it's a part of the show that not very many people talk about because they get really hung up on like oh who's gonna get killed which is why i also feel that the ending is very good mm -hmm. because it is it is a bit of a fuck you and i respect the fuck out of that yeah um because i i find it to be unfortunately one of the more authentic examples of emotional abuse in italian american culture and how it really fucks people up um, and it's a very hard watch. It's, it's a very complicated show for me because it's a show that I think about constantly, but I myself would never recommend it to anybody. Mm. I would never tell someone to watch The Sopranos because for me, it, it's a fascinating watch. I think there's a couple episodes in particular that I, I can genuinely say I enjoyed, but overall I hesitate to say that. It's a show I love. I hesitate to say that it's a show that I think is um, a fun watch or, like, you know, an enjoyable watch. Because it's it's a very... It's one of those things where it is incredibly close to home. And um, I, I worry that if I recommend it a bit too gleefully, people will go into it a little too gleefully and kind of perpetuate the issues that, that I think a lot of the fandom surrounding the show caused for the creator. Um, relating to that, though, I it's been very interesting because I, I watched it a couple years back. I'm not an expert, by the way, disclaimer. I'm not going to ever act like I'm a Sopranos expert. I, there's people who know far more about the trivia and the ins and outs. I don't even... I honestly have watched very few mob-related movies. Mafia media is something that, again, hits a little too close to home for me. Um, so it's not really a genre I really enjoy. Um, but that said, um, it's been very interesting watching it a couple years ago and kind of watching people get into it in the pandemic, particularly because, and a lot of people have written about it at this point, kind of the LGBTQ interest in the show. Um, because and the creator has talked about this a little bit recently because someone asked him like hey like how do you feel about about this and he just was like yeah like all the characters are super fucking performative and i think that's what i find to be so interesting about it is like he's uh, the show is not afraid to talk about the performativity of masculinity and femininity in italian american in the italian american sphere and even if you're not italian american yourself you're not from north jersey you're not used to that aesthetic um, I think that a lot of people who are LGBTQ can still, like, connect and find the performativity to be fascinating, and I think that's, like, a really cool thing. So, my relationship to The Sopranos is, is really complicated, and I think it's always going to be complicated. 
it's definitely a show I think that will never really leave my mind and for that that is impressive but again I it's a show that I am not going to say like I'm a, a fan of either that said if I ever had the opportunity to uh to cosplay Adriana I would so I could just like have like just be th- an amazing icon of North Jersey aesthetic for a day just maxi dress with a gigantic cat on it hair curled looking absolutely like in my aughts majesty i'm just thinking about how easy it would be to cosplay most of these guys because they're just oh, yeah. they're just wearing tracks well there's <laughs> funny you mentioned that um there is a sopranos con um i know people who went to the sopranos con and i asked about that that was like one of my first questions was like you know what was the cosplay like and they were like I'm gonna be honest, I couldn't tell how much of this was cosplay and how much of it was just how people dress. And I thought that was hilarious. Like, there were people who were, like, clearly invoking certain looks, right? Like, people were clearly walking around in their bathrobes, like, trying to invoke Tony Soprano. But but at the same time, it's like, I couldn't tell if they were, like, they were like, I couldn't tell if they were just wearing tracksuits because they had tracksuits or if they were trying to, like, be a specific character. It was really funny. Uh, that reminds me of one of my favorite jokes from The Office, where Creed um, is a Halloween, and one of the new guys says to Creed, the kind of weirdo member of The Office, just like, like I didn't realize everybody dressed up for Halloween, and like he's covered in blood, and, uh. and he's just like, neither did I, <laughs> and then like he cuts to a talking head, he's like, this is really good timing, <laughs> and it's just like, okay, um, so yeah, um, I don't know if my dad had an opinion on The Sopranos, um, but I do feel like for you, for me, The Sopranos is kind of like my battle star, where it's just like I do love that show, or mm-hmm. like you know, I've, I've it will never leave my mind, but it's not exactly something I'm going to like highly recommend because it's like Battlestar is like such a heavy thing, right? You know, it's it's also interesting because and and you know I'm not saying this to start a fight with anybody, any like fans of the show or anything. I I, I assure you, I I value it and I treasure it, how it fits into into uh, television history. And again, even if I even if it's hard at times, I do feel like it is a type of media that does actually speak to a lot of the italian american experience for better and for worse i think it's it's not afraid to kind of get into the ugly parts of it um that said it's a very interesting show in the sense of like you can kind of tell how experimental it is to a certain extent it's it's interesting seeing how certain plots just get dropped or like certain things kind of really exist within the scope of an episode there's a lot of unanswered questions and and i find that very interesting like you can kind of tell it is at a transitionary point in television oh yeah definitely because i feel like this this and lost yeah were like were the beginning of like the big tv show right right and and i do find that very interesting because i think that you know it's not perfect at all i it's definitely not a perfect show but again it doesn't leave my mind and i've talked to some people who even some people who are friends of the show who have kind of said similar things where it's like I don't know if I like this show, but I think about it constantly. Wait, about the Sopranos about Degrassi? About the Sopranos. Okay. But, like, people, like, that just, like, we talk about TV shows. Like, people who have who have been on the show, like, have also had similarly complicated relationships with Sopranos. It's very interesting. But, um, it's a very interesting thing. So, 
when it came to uh, the many saints of Newark, uh, which, as I've said before, is like I've said, I don't think I've said it on the pod, but I've said it elsewhere. Like, I still think is one of the best titles like ever. Yeah, <laughs> it's like my favorite fucking title of a piece of media. Um, it's it's one of those things where it's like I I don't necessarily in this universe need. <laughs> Thanks, Juniper. I don't know if the mic caught it, but Junie uh, is just letting us know she went to the bathroom. Because that's what, that's what you do when you're a cat. It's like I made a poo! Uh, look at me! I did a great job! But, like, um, in all seriousness, um, it's, it's, uh, it's interesting because I didn't necessarily walk away from the series needing answers. I... And, and maybe it's just because of how I watched it, right? I think if you watched it weekly and, like, as it was coming out, you might have a different relationship with it. For me, I was very much like, okay, this is, like, a point in time in history. This is kind of what I'm being given. This is fine. And I was also, again, somebody who was supportive of the conclusion of the, the whole entire series. So so I was pretty um, satisfied with where what we got. Um, so I was not super, like, I didn't need to know where we were going with the, the Many Saints of Newark, but, like, I was like, okay, I'll watch it, I'm curious. Um, but it's interesting because, and I'm sure we'll, like, talk about it, where it, it really framed itself, at least to me, as, as it would be, um, it's not quite what we ended up getting, at least to me, from what I was seeing of the advertisements and promotional material. So, okay, so, um... Okay, I I just want to say, you know, I'm just gonna go with the thread you dropped. Yeah. Um, because like, like it just, I have problems with prequel stuff that yeah. comes up after, you know, the yeah. original stuff. Like, for me, a good prequel is just like, hey, we don't need to answer every question. Okay, like the movie Solo. Did you mm. see the movie Solo? No. The movie Solo is like. That's where Han Solo got his vest. I'm like, that was not a pressing question for me. Like, yeah. Like, like, it's just like, here's how he got his blaster. I'm like, I don't care about these things. They're just items. And, like, my, my thing is, like, a good prequel will show you... Okay, so Mike was asking meets the bad guy from the first movie in this, and he's wearing glasses. And Mike's like, you know what? If you took those glasses off, you'd probably look a lot better and like a lot more sinister. And he takes off, and then he starts doing the squint because he can't see. I'm like, that's a good prequel moment. <laughs> like, it did. I didn't have that question, and it gave me a satisfying reason for it. Yeah, I don't know. Now that you bring it up, just like even the concept of prequels, it's like I feel like I myself have. I'm not somebody who's like super obsessed with the concept of. Um, prequels or even sequels like mm-hmm. uh, i'm a big believer in like you know just try your best to contain the shit unless it's something that's like intentionally sequential right like comics i don't mind because they're basically mythology at that point they're yeah. just never ending and, and that's cool and like it's similarly like you know something like degrassi which presumably just kind of goes on and on and on and on and on i don't really hate that it keeps going but, like, to, to to do, like, prequels and sequels and, like, try to fill in things beyond the scope of the initial narrative is not something that, like, I, I uh, crave. Like, I can't really think of many things that I've ever watched in any way, shape, or form that, like, I went, oh, I need to know 
before. Like, I need to know before, I need to know after. Yeah. But also, I think I think the relationship with sequels and prequels and stuff like that, I think it's a little different when you're somebody who does a lot of transformative work. Yeah. Right? Like, I, I'm very much at ease with the idea of, like, I have to fill in the blanks on my own of what I want to know because I know a lot of the time I want to know really insular stuff. Right? Yeah. Well, also, I feel like this is why we're fan fiction writers. Right. Because exactly. we're constantly like, okay, well, I don't understand this thing. I want to create a headcanon for it. Right. But, like... There's certain, there's one one of the biggest examples for this that I feel like I know of is there there was this comic called The Goon. Mm-hmm. It's actually a very good comic. It's about this like this you know he's a tough like he, the goon, mm-hmm. and his boss dies, and he's like, well, you know what? I'm just gonna pretend I'm still working for him. I'm just gonna be making all the decisions. Mm-hmm. And him and his like friend keep talking about like, oh, what happened in Chinatown, and like they don't want to talk about it. They don't right. want to go back. And I don't need them to show me what happened in Chinatown. And then they do, and it's not as good. Like yeah, that, it's like a constant thing. Like it's also like in the Doctor Who episode End of Time. Like the Doctor is just like the t- like if the Time Lords are coming back, everything's coming back. Like. The could have been king of his army of meanwhiles and never wars, the nightmare child, the scaro degradations. I'm like, all those sound really cool. I don't need to know what any of those are. Right. Because, <laughs> like, right. like, I have an, an idea in my head that's going to be way better than anything one of these writers is going to come up with. Right, right. It's like, even like something that is like technically a prequel that I enjoyed, like Black Widow, like, I really genuinely enjoyed it. I really like that movie a lot. I didn't really need to go... I feel like they didn't explicitly have to be like, this is what happened to Budapest. Yeah. Like, I, I feel like I feel like that's one of those things where, like, it wasn't really needed. But as a story who te- that technically takes place in a certain part of the timeline, which I guess can be kind of considered a prequel considering where the MCU timeline currently is, mm-hmm. I think it's a good movie. Well, I'm just glad it didn't focus completely on Budapest. Like, you got little right. bits of it, and, like, they show you, like, they show you more. Right, it's more about the consequences of what happened versus, like, here's Clint and Natasha for, like, two hours. Yeah, or what I, what I was mean was, like, they're like, oh, we 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 hid in this, you know, uh, air vent for, like, three days. And they, like, they don't mention it, but they show you, like, the tic-tac-toe and hangman games that are, like, carved into the side of it. Right, exactly. <laughs> So, um, and anyway, uh, so you, before we got on the tangent of prequels, you had asked, like, or said, like, oh, like, we were, I felt misled by the marketing. I sincerely felt misled by the marketing, because all the marketing focuses on Michael Gandolfini. Right. Um, playing a young Tony Soprano, which I am really enjoying having, um, the son's play their fathers in movies just like in straight out of compton when ice cube's son played ice cube mm-hmm. and then held himself as a baby i'm just like time paradox yeah. um but like you know because and like but like so everything is just like oh like oh you know like we hand this baby to Tony, the baby starts crying. He's like, oh, the babies can always tell. And, like, we see him in silhouette and, like, all these other things and, like, him threatening somebody. And that's only one half of the movie. Yeah, and that's, like, the thing. Because um, I was thinking about, too, like, the promotional material, and that's really... I was under the impression, that's why why we were like, oh, let's do this show, like, let's do this episode, because it would 
kind of technically fall under our like kids in peril like in between season type deal um and um it ended up being not really that um and it's interesting because i will say there is one promotional material thing that i think actually did sum up what the movie was actually about which is the um i saw the advertisements on the train because of course because nj transit has advertisements for the sopranos movie um which is that it is like who made Tony Soprano. I think that is more accurate. Yeah, and that's that's like you know that for me becomes kind of my main, not really complaint with the movie, but my main concern. Yeah. Of just like we don't see Tony Soprano become made. No. Like we just. It's really not about that. Yeah, it's just like oh, his uncle doesn't want him to follow in the life. But we're never, nobody's going to actually, like, Tony doesn't do anything in this movie. (laughs) Yeah, so, like, let's kind of give, like, a kind of, like, an arc of this. So, the thing about this movie is, and I, I, and if you read reviews about it, people who get paid far more than we ever will uh, speak to um, the criticisms of the movie that it doesn't really, it doesn't really function as a movie. Um, It comes off to me more as, like, a very limited television series run. Like, it feels like two episodes of, a, like, a, a two-part television event. Yeah. Um, because it, the first half of the movie is uh, more focused on Dickie, who was this really influential part of Tony. He's talked, he talks about him at length, and he looms very large in the, the series itself. He's Christopher's father. We understand that there's this guy that is no longer here that left a huge impression on um, a lot of the characters in the series. Um, so a lot of it is about him, his relationship, and his issues with his father, um, his his issues and uh, relationship struggles, um, both with both with Tony, with his wife, with. Uh, the woman who was who uh his father was involved with and now he's involved with his guma yeah it's like a lot of like the the very complicated relationship dynamics um that kind of come with all this stuff which are all 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 relationship dynamics we saw in the series like these are not new it's more reiterating how cyclical it is what's interesting about the first half also is that it takes place during the time of the newark riots which I don't know how many people... I actually don't really know how many people know about the Newark riots outside of New Jersey. Um, because it is something that is is deeply local. If you know about Newark history, you know about New Jersey history, you probably are aware of it. But it is a moment in time that uh, really, really impacted the city, really impacted race relations... Um, it took place in 1967, it, uh, took place over the course of several days, um, it was, it was in, uh, response to the police, uh, beating a black man, and, um, there was just a lot of, there were fires, there were riots, there was a lot of outcry in response to this moment of police brutality, um, and it's a part of of U.S. history that, again, I don't know how much it really gets talked about outside of our state, but 
it is a part of the discussion of race relations in the United States that certainly is something that should be talked about more. I I feel like it's just, you know, at this time period, um, every state probably had their own of some sort, you know, during the 60s. Like, you know, not some, some incident of civil unrest like this, where things just came to a head. Um, but yeah, no, I also agree it should be talked about more. Right, right. It's, it's definitely something that I know, even as somebody who, um, went to school in New Jersey, I didn't really learn about it very much. I didn't really learn about it in detail until I was teaching and, and like, teaching in an area local to that. So it was, like, local history, so it was relevant to, to the school to teach it. Um, I mean, sorry, I'm sorry. Oh, no, no. So, like, it's, it's definitely something that, um, for all, like, and, and, you know, we could talk about, and, and I think that they don't quite slam dunk this discussion in the movie. Oh, no. At all. (laughs) It, it, it's more, it's not even like a framing device, it's a plot point. Right, right. It's, it's really, they don't really, like, follow through at the level that it should be. That said, I I am glad to a certain extent that now the Newark riots are on the radar of a larger audience. Yeah. Again, is it handled great? No. No. Will we talk about it? Yes, of course. But it it's something that I saw it kind of happening in the movie. I was like, oh, fuck, are they going to, like, actually talk about this? Okay. Like, you know, again, don't talk about it as well as they could. But, the, again, the fact that the event is actually being discussed at all is is a pretty uh, big deal for someone who, for someone like me who is, like, who, uh, you know, has done a little bit of social studies teaching. Um, so you have that happening, and um, you have looking up character names um and over through that kind of framework you have the um looking up character uh, late I'm, Harold. I, I have it pulled up if you want me uh, that's good uh, because i was trying to remember leslie odom jr's character's name but like he he and how he kind of fits in as somebody who is a runner for uh the for the uh italian mob and him trying to uh, break from that connection and trying to be his own individual person and how there are consequences for making that decision. Um, And then we transition to the second half where we do see Tony kind of grow up, for lack of better terms, and um, try to make sense of the very complicated family dynamic that he's in and slowly uh, being, like, pushed and pulled toward the organized crime aspect of that his family is kind of entrenched in and has been entrenched in for multiple generations. Oh, yeah. By the way, this is also narrated somewhat by a deceased character. (laughs) Yeah, so it's narrated by Christopher. The narration is... Not done as effectively as I would like to see, but I think 
Frank brought this up while we were watching it too. A lot of contemporary movies with narration, it's like they get they get like a little bit of talk at the beginning, they get a little bit of talk at the end. Well, like yeah, it it reminds me of a lot of the young adult movies we cover on Teen Girl Talk where it'd be like like I'm just a normal girl, you know, dad dead and like this thing happened, that thing happened, this is my best friend, blah blah blah. Silence. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's 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 kind of interesting cuz it's like I, I thought about it a lot over the course of the week, so we watched it a week ago, and I, I've honestly, much like The Sopranos, I've been thinking about this movie a lot. And I think what I do kind of appreciate about it is The Sopranos always is slightly an unreality hell. Mm-hmm. It, it, there's many moments in the series that are just simply unreality hell. Like, they are not quite in the present. It's not quite real what's happening but it is real and, and there's moments like that in the series periodically where like it just goes a bit bonkers and i kind of like that because i feel like it complements the uh very unreliable aspect of the show i really feel like this is one of those shows where they're gonna kind of mention there's ghosts at some point and then completely forget about it <laughs> It's, a, it's a, the thing about it is, like, I guess it's not really so much unreality hell so much as there are many fantastical elements to the show. Um, and, and it's definitely one of those things where, um, it, it will abruptly transition to that unreality and abruptly transition to those fantastical elements. And I do find that stylistically very interesting, which is why... I feel like the fact that he's narrating it is is an interesting choice because it kind of reaffirms the lack of, like, you know, is this 100% the truth? If a character is saying it from the dead, does that mean the dead has the most access to the truth or does that make it all the more unreliable? And this dead guy also mentioned that he's in hell. Right, and right. Also, he's like, well, this is the asshole that shot me. Right, and also, is this is this somebody that we can turn to to, you know, is this person reliable? Because this person could be reliable because they, they're on the other side. This person could be entirely unreliable because they are too biased to really tell the story to the level that it happens. So it is interesting because I do think that that is a piece that we've seen the series itself try to make sense of. It's interesting to see it kind of play out in a different way. However, the pacing of this movie is a fucking mess. It, again, if you watch it, if you watch it as two television episodes, I think it's far more enjoyable. But if you're watching it as a movie, it is kind of torturous. Yeah. Um, so, what, what, we should get into the actual summary of this movie. Yeah. And we're also going to paint with very broad strokes. It's not going to be like our Degrassi descriptions because, like, a lot happens in this movie. Yeah, it's... Which I mean also... Or similar to the Sopranos. It's like it's like these things are very these are very dense. This is a very dense piece of media. Yeah. So in 1967, uh, we see an eight-year-old Tony Soprano arriving um, with his uh, uncle Dicky. Um, Which, by the way, don't think too hard about the ages. The ages don't match up to the series. Yeah. No. Do not do not sit there and be like, well, actually, this person's supposed to. Chase doesn't give a shit. And neither do I. So, like, don't, don't just let it go. <laughs> okay, I do need to, okay, I, I'm not going to focus on it, but I do need to, I'm going to give myself 10 seconds to point out that, like, like 
Tony Soprano was born in 1959. He's eight in this series. He's four years later. He's like 17. Don't think about it too much. <laughs> he's he's like I went upstairs to uh, to clean my skis. Time has passed. Um. So anyway, um, him and Dickie are welcoming home Dickie's father, Hollywood Dick Maltesanti, um, and his new Italian wife Giuseppina. Um. He's a you know. Uh, these, guys, these are made men. Um, they are uh, members of the DeMio crime family, along with Johnny Soprano, and just basically everybody else in Tony's life. Yeah. Um, uh, Dickie's father is played by Ray Liotta. Um, and I didn't realize... <laughs> I didn't realize Ray Liotta and the guy that Dickie is going to visit in jail were twins. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, but it makes sense, because, like, if you're going to pay for Ray Reloaded, you're going to put Ray Reloaded in that film. Right. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so Giuseppina is, like, beautiful. She's stunning. She's yes. one of the most beautiful women I've ever seen. Like, full stop. Yeah. Gorgeous, gorgeous actress. Um, they they go home. Like, Giuseppina doesn't speak any English. She, you know, speaks uh, just pure Italian. Um... They, uh, like, we also meet, um, do, 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 uh, we also meet Halen McBrayer, who is a runner, um, for, uh, for Dickie, and we also see Harold, like, I think we first encountered Harold while he's chasing down, um, one of his dealers. Yeah. And, like, he gives the kid a beating, um, it's a very rough scene. And, like, just, like, next time you're going to come back with a bag full. And, you know, he goes to talk to Dickie and the rest of the crew. And they're all just kind of mocking him. Mm-hmm. Um, basically being like, I like, why is this kid still alive? Like, you know. Um, we cut, eventually we'll catch back up with Harold when he's chasing down the kid again. Uh, the kid runs into an army recruitment office and this just goes to show just how untouchable this family is. Because Harold shoots him with a shotgun in this office and then walks away scot clean. Scot free. Um, so that's that's one part of the plot. Yeah. <laughs> um, Johnny and Junior, um, uh, Tony's father, they're arrested um, in front of Tony and his sister. Which is fascinating because the emotional weight of this is so minuscule. Yeah. Compared to a lot of other things. And it's not to say that the other things aren't important, but it's very interesting if you're going into this film and you're thinking, oh, I'm going to see, like, how Tony became Tony. It's nothing. Like, honestly, his father really is not much of a huge factor in this whole entire film. Yeah. His father is played by John Barenthal. Mm Mm-hmm. Who I'm really glad got off The Walking Dead after the second season because I think he's a very good actor and I think so too. The Walking Dead has become a shambling corpse in and of itself, um, but um, like he's put away for four years. Tony Crow eight years in this time period, <laughs> um, um, and we also see his wife Carmela and the beginnings of that shitty relationship you see the thing about this movie is 
um, there's a lot of discussion of how accessible this movie is. And, and I do think it's worth discussing while we're bringing up a lot of these characters. Because if you've seen the series, these names should sound pretty familiar to you. If you're like, you know, if you were like a pretty casual fan, you could probably start piecing together. There's enough like callbacks that you can probably figure out who is who relatively quickly. If you're someone who had only watched maybe a season or two, if you're somebody who, um, I think someone, I read someone like on, on Twitter, I think said like, if you're somebody who like folded laundry while watching this show, like you're not going to understand like half of these characters. <laughs> yeah. Um, I honestly... Like, I, I know the, like, I know Junior, I know, like, I've, I've heard Dickie's name, I know, like, you know, when they're like, oh, this is Chris, I'm like, I know that guy. <laughs> like, um. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because, it's an interesting thing to think about because I, I can't say that's a success or failure. I, I don't know, I don't know how accessible this movie needed to be. Well, the thing is, I feel like this would be a good first act. Like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. if there's if if they come out with a second movie, um, the Many Angels of Camden, possibly I don't know, um, or but it's a play. It's a play off the Multisanti name. I don't. I didn't get that. Oh yeah. <laughs> um. Okay. Um. I don't know, but like. If, if if they came out come out with a sequel for this and it shows Tony becoming, you know, not exactly who he will be in when at the beginning of the series because mm-hmm. that would have, have to span thirty years and would have to put a lot of makeup on Michael Gandolfini. Right, right. But it would be interesting to see like what you know who he becomes because um, like this is this feels like a first act really for me mm-hmm. where I'm just like here's all these characters here's the relationships here's how things are becoming like um you know like if you if you're uninitiated I feel like this would be a good initiation to go into the show because um, you're like oh that's what that is but like it doesn't do what the the ads showed us it was gonna do which is like this is how Tony became Tony um so yeah um at this point um um we the the riots are beginning to break out mm-hmm. um we see uh the, the initiating incident a black taxi driver is assaulted by white police officers um it's very hard to watch mm-hmm. um and harold takes part in the riots um, and how like Hollywood Dick, you know Dickie's father, uh, assaults Giuseppina. Mm-hmm. Um, and like at this point, we've also seen Giuseppina flirting with Dickie. Um, and also an amazing shot of like her, like like the camera's going through a door and she's standing in front of a convertible smoking. Mm-hmm. It's like one of the best shots I think I've seen in recent cinema. <laughs> There's this, of all the faults of this movie, it is gorgeous. Yeah. It is a gorgeous movie to look at. It is 
beautifully shot. That is not like a- any any criticisms to be had about this movie have nothing to do with how it looks. It's a beautiful movie. Or or the acting. No, I, I want to get that. Like th- this isn't a b- bad movie because like it's like oh that was certainly a, that was certainly a read. Yeah, like <laughs> that was a choice. <laughs> the thing about the thing about the Sopranos that I do really appreciate is um. You know, I think it's like some people have had opinions about how some actors have done it, which to be fair is a really hard, like that's a really hard assignment to be like, okay, now you got to recreate a younger version of this character who was beloved in, in, you know, this six season series that uh, is, is considered an important part of, uh, of uh, media. Good luck. It's not an easy assignment. I think a lot of the acting is really, 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 really strong. And I think another thing is like, um, it's it's like it's over the top but if you if you're like from the area or like you you have italian americans in your family or you yourself are italian american it's like we're a yelling culture we're very loud we're very over the top it's just the way that it is and like it's it's kind of fun to see um oh god um oh man the actress that plays livia is incredible looking up uh Vera Farmiga? Yeah, like, I don't know shit about actors. I know that she's somebody who is, like, known for being, like, really good as an actress. She does an incredible job with with Livia. The thing about The Sopranos that is very interesting and something that, you know, we'll go through more of the synopsis more, but, like, I think what what this really reiterates, which could come off as repetitious if you've seen the series, is that it really reaffirms how multi-generational a lot of this trauma is and how it carries from one generation to the next generation to the next generation and it's hard as hell and it's something that this movie is really trying to make sense of especially with like you see it in 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 Livia who is you know a horrible she's she's a fucking she's incredibly abusive in the series itself and in, in this, you see how, I know there's a lot of discussions of cycles of violence and cycles of abuse, right? And a lot of people um, can get, and there's a lot of discussion of if we should even be talking about cycles of abuse or is that kind of, or like, you know, is, is, it, is it as cyclical as people claim it is? Um, unfortunately, whether the, you know, I can only speak to my experience, but I think what happens a lot in Italian-American culture is that it is incredibly cyclical. There is a lot of cultural reason for why this happens. There's a lot of cultural expectation and performance, which I think The Sopranos talks about a lot, and you see in this movie, you see in the series, how there is so much of this idea of performing and acting a certain way, and if you go against that, then there's going to be consequences. And you're, you're going to have to be forced into your place. And in the process of acting and trying to keep a mask on and trying to perform a certain way, you end up having the consequence of basic how incredibly unhealthy it is to maintain a mask, especially a mask that is bullshit. Yeah. And you see it in how people erode, how Dicky really erodes throughout this movie, um, how... Livia is is you know trying to push against certain things but and you know just is not going to is not in the circumstances to really process her own bullshit and is now going to thrust her bullshit on other people and um 
it's something that I think is a very interesting thread throughout this movie and throughout The Sopranos, and it's it's interesting just seeing it in a different way. Yeah. We're also very petty creatures, and this movie is not afraid to talk about how fucking petty, much like the series, not afraid to talk about how fucking petty Italian-Americans are. Yeah. Um, so let's see. Okay, so at this point, New York riots are happening. Johnny and Junior are arrested. Um... Hollywood Dick has assaulted Giuseppina, um, and, um, Dickie is talking to her, and she brings up, like, I didn't think it was gonna be like this coming over here, mm-hmm. you know, I guess I'm, like, foolish, and at first Dickie is just like, oh, like, you don't have to worry about this, and, you know, blah, blah. and then, like, he kind of realizes exactly what happened, and he confronts his father in the garage. God, I have so many thoughts about this. I have so many thoughts about this this scene. Yeah. Um, and Dickie, like, you know, gives a very clear ultimatum. I watch you assault my mother. I will not watch you assault another assault another woman. And, like, Dick Hollywood pushes back against this. And Dickie, uh, like, it's, it's kind of a heart beats him to death. Yeah, like, on a steering wheel. Yeah. You know, it's the Sopranos, baby. This is how it is. Um, and, um, takes his car and, like, um, at this, like, and, like, puts him, like, in the trunk. He's like, oh, I, I gotta take this car. Oh, no, he's not in the trunk. He's in, like, the front seat. Can I, I have to pause, though, because I actually find this scene to be, and this is gonna sound really fucked up from me. This is one of my favorite scenes in this movie because, because he murders his father. He's trying, and this is like, this is why I actually love The Sopranos to a certain extent. Again, love is a complicated feeling toward The Sopranos, but I think what I always really um, enjoy about it is, again, the performance of The Sopranos because he kills his father. He's trying to process that he killed his father. Tony is coming up to him asking if he needs help fixing the car. His wife is in the window, all like, you know, two stories up, asking him what he wants with his fucking pork chops. And Dickie is just in the middle of all of this. <laughs> there's a pigeon in the fucking garage. There's like, there's a the pigeon that's cooing. He's trying to pull down the, the, like, you know, and obscure the vision of the fucking drive, of the fucking uh, garage and the dead body, trying not to show Tony. He's trying to say he wants the applesauce with the fucking pork chops. And it's incredible. Because it's like, there's this there's this thing about this show where it's just like it's just so it shows how fucking stupid this all is, right? Yeah. Like how, how like fucking ridiculous this all is and how the thing about that is actually interesting about the mafia and about organized crime in in this context is how there is this attachment to the structure of family and the structure of like traditional family dynamics and and it's literally in the family so you do have these moments where your life collides between the life of your of the violence that you that you um exhibit the abuse that you have gone through and how that manifests the and your future the future generations looking to you for guidance and your wife asking you what you want for dinner and it's just like i incredible it's incredible it's it's absolutely incredible in how absurd it is and i think that's what i like about the sopranos <laughs> is that it's not afraid to be absurd because yeah like that's what life is sometimes it's it just is. like absolutely absurd we're just like 
well, this might as well just happen. Right, like, like of course, this, all this shit piled up right now. Like, well, but here's the thing, I do, like, I do realize, I feel like either it's because of our family, just because we're Italian-Americans, that, like, I, I've been in situations where I've had four people come at me with different yep. things, and my brain just instantly begins processing it and putting them in order of, like, how to, like, take care of them. So, like, so like one person would keep talking about, excuse me, this, this, and this, okay, uh, oh, by the way, that, that, and that, uh, okay, that, that, and that, okay, that, and then you just solve all four in one go. Yeah. <laughs> just because, like, we are not about waiting. No! <laughs> no, absolutely not! We don't wait! It's like, I, I need an answer for this now! Yeah! <laughs> And it's like I got the sauce cooking. We need to know what's going in it. Is it the sausage or the meatballs? Or just gonna be a meat sauce? Like, but that's the thing. It's like it's a very extreme thing, right? It's absolutely like in a very extreme instance of it. But there is something very human about it. Yeah. And and I think that's what makes the Sopranos very compelling. And and I'm sure other people have said this in ways and have articulated this in ways far more detailed than I have. But there is this kind, there is this very uh, human quality to it, and 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 it, it makes the moments like this. In other shows, I would be like a wreck, right? Like I would not have been able to even get through the scene. But the fact that there is this performativity quality, the fact that there is this weird cultural connection to it, the fact that it is a fucking absurd situation to be in. That you stay, that I personally am able to get through it, um, which is very interesting because, and we've talked about this extensively on Degrassi, like talking about Degrassi and talking about shows in general, like talking about controversial things or dark topics and things like that. And I think that there is this humorous quality that happens a lot in The Sopranos that, for me personally, I'm able to get through the show with far more success than other shows that may have similar themes. Yeah. You know what this reminds me of? Um, and I think this is why I also liked Breaking Bad so much. Is because, like, also in those moments, it did, like, there's a lot of stuff that just is so absurd and mm-hmm. just so absolutely stupid. Um, so in the second season, um, Jesse and Walt need to steal a bar- barrel of a chemical they need to cook meth. And, like, they're like, this place has this big-ass lock that we need to get through, and... Walt comes up with this genius plan to use thermite to burn through the lock, and then, like, they'll just, um, like, you know, get one of the barrels, and they'll just take that, and they'll lock a guy in a portal, John, and everything's going well, and they burn through the lock, they, they get the barrel, like, they're wearing ski masks, and then, like, they're not, because I guess it's their first major heist, they're not smart enough to think, oh, we can roll this barrel, or we can take a hand truck because they're holding it like they're holding the top and the bottom and just slowly walking it back to their like their getaway vehicle and like later his brother-in-law is watching the because his brother-in-law works at the DEA mm-hmm. he's just like oh man we got some real like geniuses on our hand then he sees them doing the barrel thing he's just like oh no never mind <laughs> like like hey, geniuses it's a barrel it rolls yep. maybe take a hand truck and I'm just like that like it's one of the things I love about it like because it focuses on a family it's not like a bunch of like you know one of the worst one of the reasons I've never cared that much about the Ocean's Eleven movies because mm-hmm. it feels like these are just a bunch of dudes doing a thing and like when they're <laughs> um 
I forget like what meme it is, but somebody's like, it's about the family connection. It's true. It's though. about family. <laughs> it's true though, because it's like um, even like spy shit is not something I'm particularly interested in. But the past you know couple weeks, I've been reading a lot of Black Widow comics, which are very spy shit, like very spy shit. But like, what makes them interesting is, oh, like you know, which ex is gonna show up, right? Like you know, which <laughs> which friend is going to come in? When's she gonna realize that she needs to like you know access her team? When is she going to see like you know? it's it's interesting it's interesting because of the relationships like the fact that she's like i'm gonna get laura's help and like you got fucking laura with her fucking claws walking into a casino with nat and like you know they talk have a conversation afterwards about like anger and like emotion and things like that's what actually makes black widow comics cool like yeah it's cool that she can like kill a guy with her thighs that's great like you know big fan big fan but like what makes it interesting is the the push and pull of Natasha recognizing and pushing away and recognizing that like she needs other people. You can't yeah, it's just like you can't just show a character being constantly cool. Yeah. Like that that's like Tony Soprano is wandering around in his bathrobe, <laughs> he's hanging out with his ducks. You know, uh Walter White just never changes out of those goddamn tidy whities. Like, and that, like, because, like, I need to know this person is fallible. I need to know this person's a human. Right. Or else I'm not going to care. Like, I don't care about robots, you know? Yeah. Uh, So, uh, Dickie takes the car to a drainage supply building, which he burns down. Uh, To make it look like it got burned in the riots. That's when he goes to see um, his uncle, who's, you know, played by Ray Lilda. And... I really liked this character. I like this character a lot. I like those scenes a lot. Yeah, so Dickie is just coming to visit this guy. He's like, I need to do a good deed. And this guy, I feel like, pins him immediately. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because he's just like, oh, your father went to the drainage supply building to board it up. It's kind of funny. My my brother never held a hammer in his life. He had very soft hands. And then was like, oh, snap, you're caught. And he's uh, like, part- hey, by the way, I want a jazz record. <laughs> Yeah, it's they're very interesting scenes, and I think it's also I think it's a very interesting thing that uh, the Sopranos tries to make sense of. In in the case of Dickie, I think it's very compelling because again, this is somebody who, for better or for worse, was a role model, and he is someone who's actually genuinely trying to make sense of the weight of his existence, basically, yeah. and, and he's fighting against. It's hard because I don't want to make this sound like I think Dickie's innocent. I don't think he's innocent. No. But it is interesting seeing a person try to do what they think is good and how to do good is far... It's far more than buying a record. It's far more than coaching a baseball team. It's far more than, you know... It's something that... I think takes a lot more effort than people ever want to recognize both in this movie but also outside of it to do actual good requires you to actively constantly be thinking about doing good yeah it's not inherent in my opinion I don't think it's as inherent as people want it to be yeah well I feel you know they know I don't really feel like they say they don't say it explicitly in this movie but like you know we like Dickie is a mobster Dickie kills people. Dickie does X, Y, and Z to make money. He hurts people. Mm -hmm. But, like, killing his father is crossing a line that he didn't expect. Yes. You know? And 
So, what's interesting to me is the 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 ever shifting morality of it, because yeah. it's just like, oh, I don't have to repent for probably the countless other lives I've ended. I need to repent for this one, because he was in the family, and like we see, you know, um, I I, I forget what Rayliola's the new Rayliola character name is, um, Sally. Yeah, we see Sally like he's like. In jail for kill, he's like I killed a made man in our family. Yeah, and you know, thinking about, it, I'm like, I'm sure they have a concierge and um, or a consignor, a consignor like who could have got Sal off? They could have paid somebody, they could have threatened somebody. I th- if like my 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 thing was just like Sal's in there for a reason. Yeah, Sal feels like this is my penance. I have to be here because I killed a guy in our family, and. You know, then you see Dickie not willing to do that, but willing to, like, I'm going to coach the local Little League team, and I'm going to give this guy a record, and I'm going to come visit him. Right. And it's also interesting because if we really want to get into the morality of it, and this is, like, really messy shit, by the way. Disclaimer. You could almost argue that it, it, it reiterates, again, the performance in the farce of, of the family. Because in many ways... Hollywood Dick was horrendous. Yeah. He was an abusive piece of garbage. And Dickie is speaking from an experience of, of experiencing witnessing that multiple times over. In many ways, if we're looking at this from a really, really fucked up moral compass, he's probably the one who deserves to die out of like a lot of other folks that have gotten caught in the crossfires here. Yeah. But again, messy complicated italian-american dynamics to, to do that to your own father to do that to somebody who is part of the family is is one of the worst cultural things you could ever do so yeah it is going to be the thing that looms the most on him even if arguably it's maybe the one good deed he really did in the words of um samuel jackson yes he deserved to die and i hope he burns in hell right like <laughs> it's it's a very it's, it's, again, it's, and it's just, it's something about The Sopranos where it's like, it, it, it hits very differently for me as somebody who comes from, from the culture. I do wonder if, because I don't, I, I admittedly haven't read a ton of, like, people's pieces about The Sopranos, um, but it is something that, aside from my psychology of The Sopranos book that I've had at a yard sale, <laughs> But um, um, but it is something I do think about of, and I guess this is a conversation that can happen for any any piece of media that goes into a cultural background that is incredibly like specific to the cultural background. Like, how much does it really impact folks who aren't from that? Mm-hmm. And I don't know what the answer is because I'm not fucking not Italian American, <laughs> but. <laughs> It, it's something that I was just like, oh, fuck, oh, fuck, oh, fuck. Uh, uh, somebody who has been a part of, you know, raised in it. Yeah. Um, so, uh, Dickie takes Giuseppina as his guma. Um, and in elementary school, Tony is suspended for starting a gambling operation. Um, which... The, see that was the, I was like I like that I like I want to see more of Tony being a little scamp, um, and Harold uh, decides it's time to book it, um, 
because he, there's a murder warrant out for him, and Dickie gives him $500 and sends him on his way to North Carolina. Yep. It's... Uh, Sorry, I have to pause, because I, I opened up my phone, and I forgot. I had a picture of Sean Cameron on it. <laughs> Why? Because I was doing a Twitter, like, your four, four of your type, like, characters that are your type, so yeah. I... <laughs> I put, <laughs> I put a picture of Bucky, I put a picture of Tim Riggins, I put a picture of Sean Cameron, and I put a picture of Dimitri on it. <laughs> Long-haired, sad white boys, got it. It's just the same guy. If Dimitri was brunette, it would have just been the same guy. Like, <laughs> Gotcha. Anyway, sorry, I'm like, I'm like trying to be in Sopranos mode, but then Degrassi reared its head. I mean, you know. Um, I also sent, um, Donnie earlier this week a picture of Tony Soprano, like, with Gabagool just all over. Yep. And him looking disappointed. My, my fun fact about watching The Sopranos was, um, I had the subtitles on when I watched it. Um, and it was really funny because, um, I, I learned, this is, like, really embarrassing, I didn't know the spelling of a lot of words until I watched The Sopranos, because, like, my family would say the words, but, like, they weren't words you wrote. Like, you know, there's a lot of, like, terms that just get thrown around, and, like, I didn't know, I don't know how to spell gabagool, and I saw it on the fucking subtitle, I was like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> and I was like, oh, oh, okay. <laughs> you know what's funny is, um, I, you know, I grew up watching the Batman animated series, and that introduced concepts that I never, I like, I didn't know about. Um, like at one point, the Joker makes a mention of like, oh, I'm he, or somebody says to the Joker, like he's a local gun cell, and I didn't like know that was like a hired gun. Yeah. And then like, and then um, my other favorite one was, the Joker's like behind all the Sturm and Batarang, and I'm just like. Really? Sturm and Drang in the kid show? Sturm and Drang in my kid show? <laughs> it's a... I have to revisit that show, because there's a lot of, like... I feel like there's a lot as an adult I would Yo, get out of. Yo, it is still amazing. Oh, it, I'm sure it is. Like, I, I'm not... I don't doubt that for a second. And, okay, so, sorry, quick tangent. I just have to make mention of God bless Dwayne McDuffie. Because, um, WB kept going at, um, Bruce Tim. And they're like, look, kids aren't kids aren't registering with the Batman show. We need something like we need a hip young Batman. And they're like, oh, we don't want to do this. This sounds so stupid. Like we have all this canon. Like we don't want to go back on it. And then like all through the weekend, like apparently, they, like they they were told this on Friday. All through the weekend, they kept talking to one. I was like, yeah, but what if we did? Like they kept calling, but well, 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 what if we did this? No, that sounds stupid. No, no, we shouldn't do it. And then Dwayne McDuffie who is a goddamn legend, comes in, and it's just like, you know, he had been away and on vacation, and they're like, oh, this is what they want from us. He's like, that sounds awesome. Like, it's Spider-Man meets Batman. Why aren't you guys more psyched on this? And that became the running thing through the whole, like, through the whole thing. He's like, yeah, we'll just make Bruce Wayne old. And, like, he'll advise a young, like, dude. So Dwayne McDuffie saved Batman Beyond. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think Bruce Tim and his team would have done something great, but, like, Dwayne McDuffie really brought the, like, expertise. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. Oh, God. Rest in peace, Dwayne. Mm -hmm. Um, 
but just like <laughs> just love like Batman meets Spider Man. Why are you gonna what what? <laughs> right, exactly. Um, so yeah, um, <laughs> I'm just imagining Tony Soprano in like as like Batman Beyond. Oh my god! What a what you killed a... you killed my father. Forget about it. Better. Right? <laughs> <laughs> sorry, one more. T- that still is my favorite response. To that he's just like he meets the guy who killed his dad. He's just like like who he's like who are you? He's like the son of a man you murdered. Pause. Do you know how little that narrows it down? <laughs> I'm like that is such a good villain response. It is. It is. <laughs> Um, anyway, so four year, okay, uh, so we cut to four years later, um, Tony's father is being released from prison, um, him, him and Livia immediately start fighting, um, it is just painful to watch, because it is so realistic. Yeah. Um, Dickie and his wife, uh, show an infant Christopher to Johnny and the rest of the family. And Christopher cries when he gets near Tony. Yeah, yeah, he and, does. Um, and this is also where we get to see Michael Gandolfini as young Tony Soprano, and mm-hmm. I love it. Like, he does a good job. Yeah, he does a really good job. Uh, but the, I think that, like, once again, this is why I want more of him in the movie. Yeah, yeah, I think he, I think he really understands the assignment. He does a good job with it. Um, yeah, it's it's weird. He is weirdly underutilized. But, like, in a way that, like, I didn't really expect. Yeah. Um, so, uh, Harold comes back, and he's like, I'm gonna start my own crime. Crime operation. And he kills one of the Demio enforcers, is now collecting protection money from the stores, and the guy just seems like, well, the king is dead, long live the king, I guess. And it's all the same to me, I'm paying somebody for this. Um... And, uh, on the title, on the poster, um, Gia Sapina wants to open up his practicing her English. She wants to open her own hair salon. Dickie keeps kind of putting it off. Mm-hmm. She's, uh, like, living in, a, like, a nice, swanky little little spot and everything. Or yeah. Or a little, little guma suite. Yeah. Um, she, uh, after, they ha- after Dickie and her have a fight, uh, she cheats on him with Harold. Um, and is Dickie aware Harold is causing trouble at this point? At this exact point, I think he's beginning to figure it out. Oh, um, yeah. Well, eventually, um, oh, this other really awful scene that neither... Oh yeah, this was rough. Johnny, we, could... we looked away from this part. Yeah. <laughs> there was mouth trauma. <laughs> yeah, we're not going to get into it. No, it, it, no, no. They it, find out it's Harold. That's what matters. Okay, but let me just say this. If you, if you are watching this and you don't want to watch the scene either, mute the movie and close your eyes for about a minute. Yeah. When you hear, put him on the table. So, it's also the, the most hard thing to watch in the movie i agree i think it's the hardest it's like i think other things it's like yeah it's just like a little too gory for me like is it is it a bit it's over the top yes but it's still like like i could not do it It, it's just we both looked away yeah there's no the do not be do not feel like you have to be brave yeah um and in in retaliation harold and his gang attack the Dimeos, 
another gang member, Buddha, is killed. Um, oh, and also, at a certain point, Tony and his friends rob or steal an ice cream truck. Yeah. And they just are giving out ice cream to random people. And I liked the scene. Like, I'm not, I didn't like it because, like, huh, fuck that ice cream dude. Right. I liked it because it's just like, yeah, because, like, these guys are supposed to be mischievous and this is the kind of horrible mischief they would be into. Exactly. And, and, and it shows, like, an escalation, right? Because I think there's a big difference between a, a being in elementary school and having a gambling ring. Yeah. Right? Because I feel like a gambling ring is maybe half a step up from, like, selling candy to your peers. Yeah. Like, it, it feels it feels about on par. Now we're beginning to... Again, there's still this childishness to it because it is like, we're going to steal this ice cream truck and give ice cream to everybody. But there is still, like, the holding the person down by force and, and you know, doing all that stuff that you do see that there is a clear ramping up and 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 a clear like this is normal. Yeah. In in Tony's mind, this is a reasonable thing to do on a Saturday afternoon. Yeah, like but it's just like Tony does not see right and wrong the same way we do. Yeah. Yeah, and that's kind of the thing. It's like Tony I think the thing is is like he he for all of Dickie's efforts to try and not have Tony fall into this. There is still a normalization of violence and a moral compass that is incredibly skewed. Yeah. And, and you can try your best to claim, like, you can put on certain masks and be a certain way in certain spaces. But the fact of the matter is, is that you have, whether you let, like, you know, no matter what you do, you've okayed this kind of behavior. Yeah. And, and if everybody is a part of this in some way, including the women. Because the thing about the women that is incredibly complicated and interesting about the women in The Sopranos is the even if they are not actively a part of the crime, they are still consenting to and facilitating and benefiting from it. I actually watched a clip where Tony gets arrested because somebody found one of his guns yeah. and it had hollow point ammunition in it. And, like, it's another one of those, like, uh, they call up Carmela, who's going down to yep. the thing. And she's like, oh, do you want to come out to the lake this weekend? And Carmela's like, look, Tony Tony doesn't want to do the drive. Also, he just got arrested because they found hollow point ammunition in his guns. And, like, she hangs up the phone. She looks at her husband or, you know, whatever. And she's like, if you have guns with hollow point ammunition, take it all out. Yeah. And just, like, just casual as, like, saying, like, you want, you want lunch? You ready yep. for lunch? <laughs> But it's exactly that. It's like they, you can't say they know nothing. Yeah. You could never say they are fully innocent. Even if they are not going to the meetings, even if they're not going to the restaurants, even if they're not committing the fucking crimes, there is a level of awareness to it. They are not 100% innocent. And it is, it is, it is very interesting, in my opinion. Yeah. Well, it's just like, you know, like... He, um, at certain points, we see Tony say, like, oh, Dad and, like, all those guys, just, I wonder what they talk about. Mm-hmm. And, like, you know, the wives know what they talk about. Yeah. Like, um, and also, like, I mean, obviously, like, they know about the gumas. <laughs> right. And, yeah, it's just, like, there's, there's this, there's this idea of, like, and I think this happens a lot in Italian-American culture, 
in many different ways. But it's the idea of, like, if we don't talk about it, it's not there. If I don't tell the kids that dad is in the mob, then they're not going to want to be in the mob. But there's so much bleed over and so much that gives that away. Or there's times where it just fucking comes out. Someone gets arrested. They get arrested in a very traumatizing way for for a child because it's in like a fucking amusement park where everyone can see. It you can't prolong the inevitable. It's going to happen. Yeah. Things are going there's going to be consequences and just and you can ignore things all you want and you can refuse to have conversations, but it's still gonna leave a mark on on kids. And in this case it's Tony who is continuously getting caught up in shit like this yeah um honestly at this point there's not much movie left no and Um, like but he is also getting into fights like physical fights with folks too yeah so um we also see a scene where uh, olivia is called into the guidance counselor's office Um, this one i'm sorry this this got me this scene got me yeah um so the guidance counselor it's a brunette woman with glasses who is actually listening to Tony and listening to his problems. And, like, I think this is another interesting thing where it's not like we are explicitly saying this is what would make him go to a therapist. But it is, like, um, like definitely probably what set it up. Um, and actually, that's off topic, I'm not going to bother. Um, so they call in Livia. She explains, like, the, the guidance counselor explains... Um, your son is a genius. He the Bristol Myers Squibb test says he's a leader, and Olivia's like, yeah, with his grades say otherwise. She's like, he just doesn't apply himself. That's the problem. Um, and she tells Car- Olivia about this moment, like that Tony said, like remember he's remember one of his best memories is you reading to him about Sutter's Mill, you know. Um, and Livia seems to take it in, um, and she makes Tony um, dinner because her and uh, her sister are going out to a show, and she's like, "Oh, like you know," she makes mention of a doctor. He's like, "Oh, we don't see him anymore after what he said," and what he said was like, "Maybe you should go on Ellaville. Um and like Tony is reading the pamphlet he's like oh maybe this could be good for you ma she goes after him and it's one of the hardest scenes to watch once again Mm -hmm. because it is so realistic Mm -hmm. and like she leaves tony alone um at a certain point also um tony is kind of shown what the you know the gangster life can lead to because his uncle or an associate, and that, I, this guy just seems kind of like a, a soldier. Like he just gives Tony these massive speakers, and he's like, "I can never afford anything like this on my own." And he's like, "Yeah, this is the last thing you steal." Like you just think, like you you steal this, and you're good. Uh, and we see Tony enjoying the music and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, meanwhile, Dicky reconnects with Giuseppina. Um, they have uh. They have breakfast or lunch at a place I think I know. I think it's Rooney's in Long Branch, mm-hmm. um, which is an excellent brunch uh, buffet, um, which I wish I could go to. But like buffets at this point are like super spreader events. Yeah, <laughs> um, exactly. 
but like um you know they're right by the water and Giuseppina says like look I want to be honest with you and like Donnie and I both just like oh no yeah she's also like like dressed in like this like faux fur jacket like she looks incredible and let me just say it was the 70s that was definitely not faux fur now like the, the one she's wearing probably faux fur yeah 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 but that was definitely dead end uh, yeah well 70s. you know what I mean I couldn't remember I remember it looking more like faux fur puffy but I, you're you're probably right yeah. but anyway she, she's wearing like a fur white jacket like she looks incredible and uh we're watching it we're gonna go oh, no okay yeah um she confesses to the affair and he demands to know who it was she says harold and he kills her yeah which um, he drowns her she floats out to sea and it is just awful it's gutting uh it's filmed in a way that i think is very interesting because they do a lot of like obscured camera yeah work which i think is the right way to do that yeah um and also makes sense because they're in the fucking water yeah. and uh, that's you know it, it's a very interesting way that they shoot it it still hurts like hell it still fucking sucks yeah. um it's it's a lot and and it, it does reiterate how you can't just think really hard and get rid of your your flaws right you can't just outrun your worst behaviors and habits especially when it comes to if you have issues with violent tendencies yeah you can't just say i'm gonna think really hard and i'm gonna be fine or i'm gonna i'm gonna do a bunch of good shit and then i i will never have these impulses again it and it sucks because you could also be somebody who aggressively is against other people doing it yeah but that doesn't mean you put the work into stopping yourself from doing it yeah and you see how his rage takes over, and this happens. Yeah. Um, also, at one point, we saw um, a funeral. Um, I'm guessing it's for Buddha, um, uh, where Junior falls and he hurts his back, and Dickie laughs in his face. Yep. And, um, um, Junior is still recovering. He's unable to do a lot of things. Um, Sally tells Dickie, stay out of Tony's life. If you want to do a real good deed, stay out of Tony's life. Mm -hmm. Tony does not react well to this. Um, He throws his nice speakers out of the window. Um, His father is very confused. Yeah. Um, And um, he, like, this is finally where we get to see a young Carmela. Carmela. Yeah. Um, like, everybody's wearing Leatherman jackets. Um, he has a friend that makes some kind of comment who he then attacks. Um, like, because they're, they're trying to get his uncle to buy them beer. His uncle just hangs up on him. He calls mm-hmm. again. And his aunt answers. And, the, like, he hears Dickie be like, just hang up the phone. And you hear the slam in the phone. Mm-hmm. And that leads him to throw the speakers out the window. Carmella doesn't get a line, which sucks. I think she gets, like, one line. Yeah. And she gets shoved in the fight, right? Yeah. Oh my god, Basil. Um, so... Very, very uh, Emma and Sean and Jimmy fight. Yeah. Um, um, 
whatchamacallit, a, um, we see Dickie arrive home one night, he gets shot by an unknown assailant, um, we hear, we hear a payphone ringing, uh, Junior picks it up, somebody says, it's done, um, we cut to Dickie's funeral, we see Tony staring at the, at the cat, or his, at the wake, so we see Tony staring at his uncle, credits. Well, they, they lock, they lock, uh, pinkies. Mm. I think it's pinkies, if I recall correctly. Yeah. I, I remember somebody, the shot of somebody's hand in this movie, and there's a big-ass ring on the pinky. Yeah, 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 it's from that moment. Oh, it, okay. It's from that moment. Because, again, it, it's that, it's that weird, um, fantastical moment, and then, like, the opening kicks in of the series. Yeah. There you go. This is it. This is how Tony Soprano becomes Tony Soprano. Yeah, I can still go for another movie explaining more of how Tony yeah. Soprano became so, so this is interesting because um, I was reading a little bit and it sounds like there's more projects on the horizon. Mm. I... I don't know. I, I There's a part of me... I, I mean, again, I was pretty content with the series. I, I Even if I had questions, it didn't really matter, right? Like, I don't give a fuck if they find a, the Russian ever. I don't care. Yeah. I don't care if they find X, Y, and Z. There's, there's, because at the end of the day, maybe it's because, I, again, if I really need to make sense of something, I'll fucking write fanfic about it. Yeah. I'll read meta about it. I don't necessarily need a new series, a new movie, or anything like that. That said, I do kind of respect because, uh, from my understanding, um, the creator now is trying to use the Sopranos as a way to uh, be able to talk about certain stories because, unfortunately, we live in a world where IP must be attached to it. And it's worth talking about how the many saints of Newark, a lot of the themes, a lot of the plots that happened in that movie were supposed to exist as its own original story. Mm-hmm. So the stuff about, especially about the Brooklyn, about the uh, Newark riots was a part of an original project that he had wanted to do and then basically he found the sopranos as a way to to do it yeah so it's kind of interesting to see what's going to be on the horizon in terms of seeing like how much is he going to push the brand basically like how much is he going to to try and talk about some more original stories but use the sopranos as a very loose framework of being able to talk about those stories yeah it's it's interesting in a meta sense i don't know how interesting it is in a narrative sense because i i do wonder how what new discussions can you really have right because it's like a lot of this movie reiterates how cyclical so much of the issues are there are a lot of things that we see similar to the series i do wonder if it will get very repetitious over time if it continues to explore within those themes well yeah um yeah i i I think the yeah, I, I don't need to, like, keep seeing The Sopranos, like, explore, explore this new thing. It's so, like, I, I just wish our, our society was better. It's so, like, we could just have this conversation about the Newark riots, but it's just like, 
I don't need the Sopranos at every moment in history. Right, exactly. And, and it's also one of those things where I would be interested in seeing more projects if they were more focused on the women. Mm. But then the big caveat, I think, would become I would need to see more people who aren't cis men doing the writing of The Sopranos. Yeah. And, and I, 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 I feel like that's a story that's worth telling, and I know that the series does address a lot of it, but to see it more focused on them would be interesting. But I don't know if that's going to happen. I don't know how, you know, I, I really have not looked too far into it myself. So if folks know more about it and are shouting at the, uh, at the fucking episode, I'm sorry. Um, but it is something that I'm thinking a lot about of like, if they are going to keep going through with all these projects. And you know, how many of them are going to reach completion? How many of them are going to get dropped? I don't know. Yeah. But it is interesting to kind of think about where where this is going to head especially after there was such a long time that the book was really closed yeah i just hope they don't fuck up that i hope they i hope there's nothing forward you know what i mean <laughs> like i hope there's nothing past the series because i still want people to be so fucking angry they don't know how it ends i mean uh, okay so i'm gonna i'm gonna use this to close this out um Breaking Bad had a sequel movie. Oh, right. Um, called El Camino, a Breaking Bad story. Mm-hmm. And that, um, I, like, that one I really did like. Because, like, it, that, you know, Breaking Bad ends, spoilers for the end of Breaking Bad, we give five seconds. The, the end of Breaking Bad ends with Walter White dying on the floor of a meth lab. And I'm like, good that's where he that's where he deserves to die <laughs> but like you got to see jesse driving away in el camino laughing as he's finally free of the captivity he's been sucking for the last year um the captivity and the torture and but the thing is like i, I while i like that i'm like this show doesn't let people just get away scot-free they're constantly talking about like we have to do this and like do this to get away you know like and like all that it's it's not just like it's it's not as simple as like oh Dexter became a lumberjack in Alaska like that makes sense no it doesn't like um, though actually Jesse does end up in Alaska too but like the whole movie shows how hard it is to break out of this and I really like that because like I love Jesse as a character like you know he is a meth dealer but like you know you see him do try and be better like he's like he tries to go to rehab it doesn't work he tries to like you know get in a relationship and be like there for his partner's child um and like he says like he's like you know he says to walter when like it's clear walter's cancer is getting worse he's like look you can trust me to get the money to your family um while other people are just like look when you're dead that money's mine you know, and probably my favorite moment is um, from the episode Peekaboo, where he has to, like, get back some stolen property from these, you know, addicts, and they have a kid. And, like, one of the addicts kills the other, and he's like, I need to get out of here now. And, like, they have the kid kind of, like, locked up in a room, and he's, like, trying to, he's, like, trying to escape. He's like, crap. He runs back in, like, he calls 911, he takes, like, unlocks the kid's door, he's like, alright, we're gonna cover your eyes, okay? Remember Peekaboo? Remember Peekaboo? Keep your eyes closed, keep your eyes closed. 
puts a blanket over the kid, takes him through the crime scene, makes sure the cops are coming, and he's like, have a good life, kid. I'm like, he didn't need to do that. Like, so I was like, that's why I need to see Jesse get out. And I got to see Jesse get out. And I'm like, this is what a good sequel does. It's like, it answered this question that Jesse's going to be okay. Because I still love this boy. Mm-hmm. As dumb as he is, I love him. <laughs> so, so yeah. But I don't need that. I don't need to be like, like, oh, Tony's fine. Like, that was just some rando coming in. I was like, no, I need I need to know, like, maybe it was somebody coming to kill Tony. Maybe it was his daughter. Maybe it was such and such. Like, that's what I need. I need yeah. mystery for Tony Soprano. Yeah, it's it's also, I think, also at the end of the day, ultimately, it, it was a fuck you. And I think because... It's a fuck you, because at the end of the day, yes, there's a lot of violence, gratuitous violence in The Sopranos. But at the end of the day, you can tell that it's trying to tell a story beyond that. It's trying to tell a story more than just, oh, who gets killed this week. And the fact that that's what a lot of folks, and that was what a lot of folks latched onto, because I remember even as a kid, I wasn't allowed to watch it, but I heard people talk about it, and that was what people talked about. It was, oh, like, who's gonna get it? Like, who's gonna get fucking killed? Who's gonna get whacked? Right. Like, people are, like, really obsessed with that piece when this show is trying to make sense of a whole lot of themes, and... It's so much more interesting than that. It's It truly is, though. It's truly far more interesting than who gets killed every week. Um... But, you know, seeing it get reduced, and in many ways that's, that's the risk you run reopening the door, too. Is, is it just going to get reduced again, reduced again, reduced again? Um, so I'm kind of curious if how, how, it's, how future projects are going to go, how many of them are going to go to completion, and what those projects are going to look like. Yeah. Will, will I, I, I feel like there's, I'll check them out. Am yeah. I going to like them? I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to like them, but I'll give them a shot. I think if it's just like, it's a prequel, I'll check it out. If they're like sequel, I'm like, no. I'm not right. I'm not watching a sequel to The Surprise. No, I don't think I could either. But, uh... So. Um, should we do recommendations and... Yeah, sure. Um, I don't have a ton to really recommend with The Sopranos, um... Mostly because I feel like in some ways, it's, you know, there's there's a lot of interesting conversation surrounding it. My recommendation, honestly, um, is if you really want um, a laugh, um, I forget the name of it, but I remember that um, I found, like, an old blog after, it, I, like, it came up pretty fr- quickly when I was searching, like, stuff about the Sopranos uh, finale. <laughs> and it was, like, a fucking, um, like multi-part analysis like shot by shot of the finale and the symbolism the onion rings are like the eucharist like type stuff and it was so funny i recommend looking at a lot of like try to see what still exists of like the sopranos fandom back when the series was coming out um it's an interesting look at obviously it's not old internet right it's not ancient internet but it's still older internet it's worth looking at it's very interesting because it is something that if you're fascinated by fandom it's something that has like a really big fandom and there were internet communities with it but it's not how fandom functions today so i recommend just like googling some of that stuff and seeing what it used to look like and how how people engaged with fandom back then Hmm. Um, I'm gonna, 
if I can find it, I'll put the link in the description. But I really would love to read the Television Without Pity uh, reviews of this. Mm. Oh God, Television Without Pity! Um, what a name I haven't heard in so long. Um, but also, like you're looking for um, problematic parents, but ones that actually try to get better. Uh, I've been v- falling in love with the Dungeons and Daddies podcast the last few months. Um, it is like Adventure Zone Season 1 levels of good. And they're just about to finish their first arc. And I feel like I'm ready for arc number 2. Because I feel like they've learned. They learned from watching what the Adventure Zone did. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, so that's my recommendation. Yeah. Um, and... I mean, if you like gangster stuff, I would recommend the first Godfather movie. Um, it, it, like, you know, it's, it's like three hours long. Like, I watched it in the theaters and my butt was dead by the end of it. But, like, it's pretty good. I never saw the other two and I don't really care to. <laughs> I've never even seen Godfather. Fun fact. There's a lot of movies I haven't seen. Uh, maybe one day I'll sit down and watch it. But, um, yeah, if you want to continue the conversation with us, um, feel free to email us at ihopepod at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at I Hope Pod. You can fo- join our Facebook group at I Hope I Can Make It Through Podcast. Um, feel free to leave any uh, ratings and reviews. Thank you so much, everybody who has. Um, and to continue to incentivize you, too, we will uh, be giving some bonus content once we hit certain levels with our ratings and reviews. Um, and thank you, everybody, for supporting the show. I know it's been a little bit since we've been... Uh, since uh we've been um we have a bunch of episodes coming down down the the line um but thank you very much for uh letting us be able to have a little bit of time off and um we're happy to be back yep uh i have another podcast called teen girl talk with my sister um when this comes out we're gonna have reviewed he's all that the sequel to she's all not really kind of a sequel to she's all that um it's a bonkers movie oh my god (laughs) Um, you can follow me on Twitter at DM is unbreakable. Um, and you can pre-order New Jersey fan club, um, which is a really cool anthology that I'm a part of. I write about the Sopranos, but there's a collection of essays in there, um, talking about a whole bunch of different aspects of New Jersey, uh, ranging from the LGBTQ history of New Jersey to Jersey shore as a show to, um, recipes, um, to, just a whole lot of different things written by a whole bunch of different interesting people. I can say that I'm in an anthology with, like, some folks that uh, are definitely more famous than me. Um, but you should definitely check it out. Um, you can pre-order it through Rutgers University Press um, and other places that you can pre-order stuff. Um, and that's, that's my big news. Um, but A lot of exciting things are coming down the line. Thank you very much, as always, for being a part of this show. Um, We hope we can keep making it through and that you're going to be there with us. See you next week. Later. Bye.